Well, guys, well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Lifespring. I'm not up here as much as others, but I love to get up and be able to share with you what God's been working in my own life, and so I'm honored to, to be able to do so this morning. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you before you leave, by the way, just to say hello and get to know you just for a bit. We're in a series right now called Uncomplicated. I'm really loving it. I really am loving it. But before we jump into our, our meetup today, I think all of us would agree on this premise that all of us, every single day we wake up, from the time that our alarm first goes off or the time that our baby starts crying or whatever it is that wakes you up in the morning, our life is filled with lots of choices, right? Like lots of choices. If you think about it, every single day we make hundreds and thousands of choices, some big choices, some small choices, right? Like you have the choice every morning when your alarm goes off, do I need to snooze it? Do I need to get up, right? Do I need to brush my hair first? Do I need to go eat first? Do I need to brush my teeth first? Do I need to go give the babies a bath first? What do I need to do first? There's, there's, I mean, constantly, every second of the day, there's choices, right? Even choices that you don't even know you're making. Now, I think, though, if we were to think about it together, some choices carry more weight than others, right? All of them have consequences, but some carry more weight than others. Like, for example, a minor choice that each of us hopefully make every day is you get up and you brush your teeth, Right? All right, it seems like a minor choice. Like, in fact, if you if you don't brush your teeth for a day, the worst that can happen is the person in front of you, right, smells your breath, right. You might have a little crust on your teeth, but it's not the end of the world. It's a small, uh, small consequence to a small choice. But if you continue to do that day after day after day, what happens? People are probably going to be calling you Gumby after a few years because your teeth are going to fall out, right? So small choices can have small consequences, but repeated small choices can have large consequences. I talk to my kids about this all the time, but our choices have consequences. I repeat it to my, my little ones every day because when they do something, a lot of times children can't see, but there is going to be a consequence for that choice you just made, right? And adults, hopefully we figure that out or we're figuring it out as we get older, right? That choices have consequences. And so we're going to be talking about this a lot today because uh, spiritually speaking, we all make choices that have impacts on our spiritual lives too, right? And by the way, when I, when I talk about us spiritually, I'm not trying to draw this arbitrary line in between spiritual and non-spiritual because I don't believe it exists, but I believe it's helpful to think about our spiritual lives and really zoom in. But we all make choices every single day that impacts us spiritually, right? I think we're all on the same page there. And so according to Jesus, right, we can either live for ourselves or we can live for God. And so that's a choice every single day but Jesus actually talks a lot about the fact that each one of us has to make one big choice in this life, right? There's lots of little choices, but the biggest choice, the biggest decision that any person will ever make is whether or not they receive his salvation, whether or not they step into a relationship with the God of the universe or if we continue to reject him. Now, we're going to talk a lot about that today. But this big choice is actually what helps fuel all the other little choices in our life, whether or not we are a child of God. So we're going to see this play vividly out as we walk through today. In fact, I think this series really highlights this. So we're in a series called Uncomplicated. And what we're doing, guys, is we're journeying through the entire Bible to give a summary, a bird's eye view of the entire Bible. And the goal is to hopefully uncomplicate it because I get it. I've been there. Some of you probably have tried to read the Bible before and you've got stuck before. Anybody been there before? Be honest. A few people. All right. I know I have. 
Maybe you started with the book of Genesis when one day and, and you made it halfway through and you said, I give up, I don't even know what's going on, I'm lost, whatever. And so our goal is to help hopefully uncomplicate the scriptures for you so that honestly it unlocks a lifetime of learning and joy for you because that's what the word of God brings to you if we would just simply dive into it day after day after day. And if you're hearing me, just know this, God wants you personally to be reading his word. It's not just come to Sunday, come on Sundays, maybe listen to a podcast here and there. No, it's you yourself dive into the Word of God. And so I hope this overview is really helpful for you. So for the last few weeks, we've been summing up the beginning part of the Bible. We refer to it as the Old Testament, okay? So we've talked a lot about different things, but let me give you a, a 30 second to one minute summary of the entire Bible. And I hope this is really helpful, okay? I found this helpful when someone explained it to me, so I'm going to give it to you. You can break the Bible up in really four different sections, four sections, okay? Let me talk it through. The creation of all things, okay? First, first section. God made everything perfect. He made it just the way he wanted to. He made mankind specifically, man and woman, in his image to reflect him, to worship him, and to rule and have dominion across the earth. And everything was perfect in creation, guys. This is the first stanza of God's story. Stanza two, though, mankind chose to do their own thing. They chose to reject God's good plan. They chose to do things the way they wanted to. And guess what? That's called rebellion. Another word for it that many of you may be familiar with, that's what you call sin, is doing things the way you want to do it, not the way God wants to do it, okay? So they rejected God's good plan. They sinned against him. And guess what? God is a perfect and holy God. That could not stand with God. So therefore, they separated themselves from God because they chose to sin. That consequence was a big one, right? Probably a small choice at the time, very big consequence. Death entered into the world because of this. Separation from God was entered into the world. The world was now cursed, and enmity with God was now a daily exercise for people and everything that God created and God because of sin. So the fall of mankind is a big deal, but guess what? Even since the very beginning, track with me, since the very beginning, God has been planning a rescue, okay? Ever since the very beginning, he's been sowing these ideas of rescue that he would one day rescue his people, okay? And then therefore, he provides. He provides a way of rescue through his son Jesus, which we haven't got to yet in our series, but we will. He provides a way through Jesus that we could be rescued through his death and resurrection on the cross. And he promises, okay, that one day he will restore all things the right way, the way he made it perfect in unity with him but guess what he also says that he will judge all sin during that restoration process so all people that are not in jesus that have not been forgiven and all sin will be punished and he will restore all things back to their perfect unity if you want to break the bible down really simply that's a good way of doing it creation fall rescue restoration i hope that's helpful for someone but that's a, a, a bird's eye view of what the scripture's about. And so we've been journeying through this series, and what, where we've been so far is, is, is Pastor Dylan took us through creation, he took us through the fall, and now we've been journeying through the books of the Bible, which is basically the results of the fall. It's kind of what, what the Old Testament is about. And so we've been journeying through these books. Last week we talked about uh, the book of Joshua. Okay, If you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, Pastor Dylan walked us through how Joshua was, was a great leader, but he was a great leader not because he was awesome, but because God chose to use him, Right? And we found out that if we want to be in alignment with God, then guess what? That requires obedience. It requires obedience to what God says. This week, we're looking at the book of Judges. How many of you heard of the book of Judges? A few of you, hopefully. The book of Judges. It's a pretty brutal read if you read it, okay? Go home and read it tonight, and you will feel like icky because, man, the whole book is just filled with bloodshed and just lots of really bad stuff. 
So we're going to be journeying through a summary of the book of Judges. We're also going to talk about the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, very short little book, very beautiful story written about a family. If you will, Judges is kind of like an overview of, of the history of Israel over a span of three or 400 years. And so Judges is kind of like an overview. So if you can, if this illustration is helpful, if you can imagine, imagine a blimp flying over the U.S. or maybe a Chinese spy balloon, whichever you prefer. If it was, sorry, I had to drop that. But uh, if, you, if you could picture this blimp flying over the U.S., and then every now and again it, it kind of stoops down low and, and it gets kind of a more zoomed-in view. And then after, you know, maybe after a few days it picks back up and gets a big view and then zooms back down. That's kind of what we have going on in Judges. You've got this overview and then it zooms in on some specific times in history and tells specific stories for us to learn from. And then Ruth is a very, very low view. Ruth is a story within the time period of Judges where we get a close-up view of one family's life. Okay, so today, that's what we're talking about. Whether you're ready or not, here we go. Okay, so let's, let's dive in. Let me give you a quick, uh, a quick uh, summary before we jump into Judges. We're going to read an entire chapter, chapter 2. So you're going to bear with me, okay? If you, if you have ADHD, whatever you got to do to focus in and read this chapter with me, okay? I know it's going to be hard, but you can do it. So up until the time of Judges, and after Judges really too, the Israelites were a people chosen by God that were to display God to the whole world, okay? So they were given these different laws and standards to live by. They were God's chosen people, and if they would obey God... They would display God and his goodness to the entire world. The key, though, is if they obeyed him, okay? If they obeyed him. We've talked about the different covenants that God made through Abraham, through Moses so far, some others. We've talked about these covenants, but the key is that they obey God. If they obey God, then they would display God, and they would be his representation in the world. But guess what? If they turned away from God, then guess what? They would have to deal with the consequences of that, and that's exactly what happened. Because they represented God badly, they sinned against God, they now, many times, would face the wrath and the punishment of God in different ways. And it's not because God was spiteful or being mean, it's because God is just, and God was allowing them to be handed over to the consequences of their choices. All choices have consequences. We're on the same page there. It's true. It's always been true. So get this. Every evil act has a consequence, but guess what? God is gracious even through our evil actions, right? We're going to see that today. So God punished them as a way to help turn them back to himself, okay? So God would allow them to go through these different things, these different punishments, these times of enslavement, so that they would turn back to the Lord and they would repent, okay? So God graciously continued to give them opportunities to turn back to him. Why? So that the Israelites could show the world that he is God. You with me? That's the whole point of all this, to show how awesome God is. So here we go. Read with me in Judges chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give you to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares for you. 
listen, real briefly, this is very significant, okay? The people of God were promised this land that they would take one day. It's, it's, it's happened now. It's happening. And so, and so he told them, though, whenever you get to the land, I want you to drive out all evildoers. That's very significant. They didn't do it. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Verse 4, when the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. And they called this place Bochum, which means weeping. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Sorry, I don't know what I just did there. Sorry about that. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. In other words, if you read the book of Joshua, God did all kinds of awesome stuff. And those people who lived during that time, they followed the Lord, they were with them, and then keep reading. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, who we talked about last week, he died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Tinmoth, Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Okay, after the whole generation, sorry, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, they kicked the bucket, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what had done for Israel. Get this, real quick before we move on. You have all these people who saw God do some crazy awesome stuff in the book of Joshua. All these miracles. For, for God provided miraculously for them, okay? They all died the very next generation, right? Very next generation. Not four generations later. The very next generation. You with me? What does it say? They neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How does that happen? Right? Their, their dads and their grandpas and aunts and uncles, they saw all this awesome stuff, but it didn't get passed down to them. Our mission here at Life Spring Church is to live for God, love all people, and to lead others to do the same. That third part of that is extremely important, people, to lead others to do the same. That's a summary of what the Great Commission is, what Jesus told his disciples just before he sent into heaven. He said, go out, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In other words, this kingdom that I'm building, it's about you multiplying. It's not about you coming to church and sitting there and listening to a message, going home, doing what you want. No, it's about you multiplying. It's about you living for God. You yourself live for God, love all people, but then you better be leading others to do the same. That is our calling. It's your calling with your family. It's your calling with your neighbors, with your coworkers. He calls us to lead others to do the same, to make disciples of all nations. Guess what? If we don't do it, who will? Who will, church? You see what happens right here, right? A whole generation. One generation later, they didn't know the Lord, okay? So this is what happens with this generation who doesn't know the Lord. Keep reading. Verse 11, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals, or gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had bought, brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Yes, God gets angry. God is not this squishy pillow God who some of you picture him to be. He is a God who angers over sin. And we see him here angry at the fact that they are worshiping other gods. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them whom they were no longer able to resist. When Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, some translations call them saviors, small s, 
who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with them, or he was with the judge, and saved them out of, their, of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned, like a dog to their vomit, returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. That's a lot. We've made it through chapter 2, though, okay? We're there. We're on the other side. Now we're going to talk about it and unpack it some. First thing I want to point out here before we look at this graphic is God did not put up, guys, with false religions. Okay, He didn't put up with it. Today's time, people want to believe in what's called pluralism, that there are many different ways to God. Hey, listen, I don't know where they get that from, but they don't get it from God. God clearly is, here says, I am the only one who deserves to be worshipped. And if you worship any other God, guess what? It angers him. He is a jealous God in a, jealous, in, a, in a good jealous way, right? Because he's the only one who deserves the worship. So look at this graphic right quick. If you're more of a visual learner, I think this graphic will be helpful for you. So this is basically the cycle of the book of Judges. And you see it repeated all throughout the book of Judges. But you see that, the, first of all, the people turn from God. That's the first step. They turn from God. They turn away from him. And then what happens is God judges them by delivering the people of God to their enemies. He hands them over. In other words, you do what you want to with them because they have rejected me. And then God, or then the people turn back to God. They, they weep. They cry out to the Lord, would you help us? And then God sends a judge to rescue the people. God raises up all these different judges. If you read the book of Judges, there's a bunch of them. There's, there's a one or two ladies. There's, there's some dudes in there, some famous ones you've heard of, Gideon, Samson, or, uh, yeah, Samson some other ones. Um, a lot of different judges, okay? So that period, God delivered them through these judges, and then a period of peace would happen just after that judge uh, was enacted. In other words, that judge would help deliver them, and there would be a period of peace. Well, then guess what happens? Like a dog returning to their vomit, they start the cycle over. The people turn back from God, and they start the process all over again, okay? This is what you see, judges, okay? It's a brutal book. I'm telling you, it's really tough to read, but this is what you see. This period, I would describe it as like a downward spiral away from God. Excuse me. This period, in a lot of ways, I think is, is, is very much similar to what we face now, okay? In case you didn't realize it, sinning may seem like a small choice, but it has large consequences. You may not see them right now, like some of us, if we, if we think, man, there's if we honestly, many of us are probably not open about it, but there's little areas of our life that we don't want to be transparent about that we know there's areas that aren't in alignment with what God wants. And some of us, those seem like very small things, and so we kind of push them off. We don't worry about them. We don't think about them. We block them out. We don't tell anybody about them for sure, but we just consider that our little, our little dark corner of our soul that we don't want to get out in front of others. And we think it's okay because it's not a lot of consequences. No one knows about it, but guess what? There's always consequences for our sins, always. 
And God describes when we continue to sin against him, it's like going down a dark downward spiral. In fact, if you want an example of this, a good illustration, read the book, read Romans chapter 1 for homework this afternoon. Romans chapter 1 is a good example of what this downward spiral looks like because God will deliver you over and let you face the consequences of your sin. Thank God he's provided a deliverer, though. We'll talk about this in a moment. But our choices, our sins have consequences. If there were a good verse to summarize the book of Judges, though, it's the very last book in Judges, and it's chapter 21, verse 25. Let's put it on the screen right quick. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Has there ever been a greater description of America today, by the way? Everyone did as they saw fit. This is what you see in Judges also. Everyone just did as they thought was right. They made up their own right and wrong. They did as they saw fit. This is exactly what we have going on in Judges. By the way, this is also a good definition of sin. There's a lot of ways to look at sin, but sin is essentially you doing what you want to do. You're not doing what God wants to do. You replace God. You are the God of your own life. Small g there, right? Because none of us compete with big G God. But we are the small g God of our own life. We live as we want if it feels right, we do it, right? We follow what we want to do. So from this passage and from the book of Judges, I want to zoom in and observe four things that I believe are important for each of us to know today. So if you're taking notes, here's what we're going to talk about. Number one, how all this mess began. We're going to talk about that. Number two, what every life of sin looks like. We're going to look at, look at that. Number three, we're going to look at how God provides a better way, though. He does provide a better way. And number four, we're going to look at a choice that each one of us has to make. That's the four things right quick. If you like summaries, that's where we're going, okay? So hang tight. So if you hear me say number three or number four, you know we're getting to the end of the sermon and lunch is near, okay? So we're good. All right, first of all, how did all this chaos begin? Look at verse two with me again just for a second. We read it just a moment ago. Verse two from chapter two. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? This may seem like a very minor detail. It does. But let me tell you, if you were to read the first six books of the Bible, you would see this as a building up moment, okay? God has promised to give the people this special land that they would live in that would be a holy place where they only would dwell so that they can worship God, so they can live for God, and most of all, so they can put God on display. So that everyone around, all the false idol worshipers, all of the false religion practicers, guess what? They can see the true God being worshipped by the people of Israel. So there's a specific reason why God told them to drive these people out. Okay, it's not because God's mean. No, it's because he wanted to put his name on the forefront of people's minds and so people could see him. But guess what? The people didn't do it. They disobeyed. And you may look at it like it's not a big deal. I mean, they conquered this one huge land, but they just left you know, a few pockets of, of people in these other towns. In fact, that's kind of a nice thing, right? They didn't run them out. They let them stay in their own homes. Like That's the way we think as Americans, right? But the real way of thinking about it is what did God tell them? What did God tell them to do? He told them to drive them out. There is to be no false religions, no idol worshiping in this land, and they didn't do it. That choice had a big consequence, right? 
That choice had a huge consequence. God gave them clear instructions. They disobeyed. And what began to happen? That act of disobedience led to more acts of disobedience. Guess what? Next thing you know, all of these different tribes and people that lived around them that worship other gods, guess what? As you would expect, it began to rub off on them. And the next thing you know, these chosen people, these people who God had delivered, they were worshiping the same gods as their neighbors. They were rebelling from God. They were cheating on God. You see the word prostituted themselves to other gods. This is what happens when we don't obey God. Listen, little, little, it can seem like little choices in our life, guys, but sin is sin. Disobedience is disobedience, and it always leads to something bigger, right? Always does. So God is at work in a different way now. So let me fast forward to where we are right now. So we're looking at a period of time, okay, back in back during the period of the judges, okay? Because let me say this right quick. In case you haven't realized, the Bible is actually written about real history. It's not like a make-believe book, okay? It's not made up about all these make-believe characters. It is real people in real time. This is how God worked then, okay? And so things have changed over time, though, in how God is working. We are in a new era right now. God is not, we're not in the era where God is actively driving people out of a land, okay? And I say that because we have some cray-cray sometime in this area that say otherwise. God is not doing that currently. How do I know? One, read the Bible. That's the first way of knowing. Secondly, if you also look, God himself came down to earth, okay? After this period, God himself came down to earth not to drive people out and punish them, but rather to live with them, to live among them, to take the punishment they deserve so that they can be delivered from their sins. It's a different era. Now, guys, listen, now God's grace is freely offered to all the religions of the world, to every single person, every tongue. God says, if you will confess the name of Jesus, you will be saved. That is offered to every single person. That's the era we live in. Okay, you with me? However, this time period was very different. But guess what? It applies very directly to us today. You may not be driving people out of a land. Like if I see some of y'all taking your muskets and axes and whatever and driving people out of Smithfield, we're going to have to talk, okay, because that's not cool, all right? But he does tell us to drive all the sin out of our life. That's the picture he was given here. Drive the sinners out of the land so that this area is holy and pure. Guess what? Every single one of us, if you are a child of God, there are still pockets of sin that will raise up in your life to try to rear their nasty, ugly heads. Because guess what? None of us are perfect. Just because I have the title pastor don't mean I'm perfect. Very far from it, okay? We all have these pockets of sin that raise up in our life. And guess what? Just like the Israelites had to do, we have to drive them out. You hear me, church? If you don't, they will send you down a downward spiral of darkness. I can promise you that. And most of the time, it's self-inflicted, okay? But God will allow you to go down that because it's your, your choice. Number two, the second thing we need to observe from the book of Judges, what does every life of sin look like? Like we've been talking about, choices have consequences. Judges 21, 25, I think, says it perfectly. They were, they were doing as they saw fit. They did as they saw fit, okay? This is, this is what a life of sin looks like. And what's really sad about it, guys, and let's be honest with each other, this is all of our natural default modes. Okay? We want to live as we see fit, and we call it freedom. <laughs> we think that we deserve this because we're Americans, and we deserve to be free in every sense of the word, right? But that's not the case. Listen, true freedom can only be found being a child of God. 
God tells us all throughout Scripture, if you want to really be free, it don't matter what media says, it don't matter what famous sports people say. Listen, I know they try to say that following Jesus is oppressive, right? They try to say that following Jesus is, is, is something that's going to put limits on your life, that you're not going to have fun, all this kind of stuff, whatever. They are thinking that freedom is this. You do as you see fit. But if you've ever lived life like this, like we all have, really, in some period of time in your life, you've, you've lived life like this, maybe you're doing it right now, this is not freeing. It's not. It may feel like it is for a little while, but it's not freeing. Just like the Israelites were enslaved or put in enslavement, when we live a life like this, when we do as we see fit, you may not know it, but you're in chains. You're enslaved just like the Israelites were. We live, we are enslaved by our desire for money. We're enslaved, we live for the pursuit of power. We are enslaved to our desire for relationships and our sex drive. We live and we are slaves to a craving to have control of our lives, right? Anybody identify with that? They want to be in control. We live and we're enslaved to, to pursue comfort and pleasure. Comfort and pleasure is enslaving to us, right? Just like the people of Israel. Okay, these, all of these things can seem like they're good. We want to pursue them. It'll give us freedom. But what they are is they are entanglements they are enslaving uh, to us now you may think that we are way more progressed from these people here but listen guys we are not the choices are still the same either you choose to live the way you see fit or you choose the way God says now some of us try to escape this by the way and we try to say something to the effect of well I'm not a very religious person I don't buy into that right if you talk to people that, uh, that work with you or your neighbors, you'll hear this all the time in our current culture. Not just not religious, not interested. You know, trying to talk about Jesus. No, no, that's not my thing. I'm glad it's your thing, but not my thing, right? That's why I asked the question earlier. I know it's a little more serious than we normally do, but I just want to get people thinking about this idea of being religious or not religious. Because here's what I see in Scripture: everybody's religious. Every single person's religious. In fact, you guys can write this down. Non-religious just means religious on the DL. Okay. Everybody is religious. Listen, that don't, that don't mean every single one of us are in an organized religion, right? That there might be some people that fit in that category. Maybe they don't mind to organized religion. But religious, it simply means that we have a set of beliefs that God's our life. And every single person that's ever walked the planet has a set of beliefs that God's your life, right? Even the person that rejects, tries to reject faith altogether, try to be an atheist, right? There's a set of premises that they live their life by that's faith-driven. They just don't recognize it because they're blinded to it. Every single person is religious. The reason I point this out is because some of you sitting in this room or some of you watching online continue to think, this don't apply to me, I'm not religious. Or maybe you've got someone that's close to you, maybe a family member or a coworker, and they keep giving you that line. Maybe you've invited them to church a dozen times. Maybe you've tried talking to them about Jesus, and they continue to say, I'm not religious, it's not for me. You know, I'm glad it's, for, glad it's good for you, but I'm just not religious. Guess what? Do not believe that lie. We are all religious people. That's a cover-up so that we don't have to face the reality that we are sinners and that Jesus needs to save us or we're going to hell forever. It's a cop-out. That's what it is. So we need to face the reality that we are all religious. The question is, what do we believe in? What is our trust in? What are we putting our hope in? See, every one of us puts our trust into some little g God. The question is, is that little g God giving the freedom that the big g God offers you? The answer is no. 
See, there's lots of things that we run to to try to bring us freedom in life, like true life. I'm not talking about like breathing life. I'm talking about true life, right? We try to run the money, but it can't bring life. We try to run to romantic relationships, sexual relationships. They can't bring life. We try to live exactly the way we want to and make the choices we all want to. That don't bring life. We try to pursue power or fame or notoriety. That don't bring life. We try to run to other religions, maybe different practices in our life. That don't bring life. Hey, listen, what do all these things have in common? None of them bring life. Let me give you a few others. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, you name the other religious leader. They're all dead. They can't bring life. The only one who can bring life is the one who lives today. That is Jesus Christ. You see, when he died, it was painful. It was very rough. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to bring life, and he still lives today. This is what we believe in, that he is the one and true only God who gives life. So I can guarantee this. If you are not a Christian, I can guarantee 100% fact you are enslaved. You are enslaved to your desires. You live as you see fit. You may not see it that way, but that's the way God describes it. And I would say it's pretty spot on. That was my life before Jesus. I was enslaved. I said, no, and I thought I was living in freedom. But as I look back, I'm like, man, I was truly enslaved. All that stuff that I thought brought me freedom. I was just as enslaved as the next person. But if you're a Christian this morning, you can be delivered from that. You are free from that. But it's also our choice to live in that freedom. Because if you continue to let these pockets of sin exist in your life, then it's almost like you're allowing the chains to be slapped back on. You're choosing to live in enslavement whenever God says, you are free, you are my child. You don't have to live in sin any longer. I have delivered you from it. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's very ironic, but Jesus says, if you want to find true life, you have to die first. Not literally here, spiritually. You have to die to yourself. This whole idea of judges, of living for yourself, Jesus says that could be no more. If you want to find true freedom and you want to be mine, you have to die to yourself first. The third thing we see in the book of Judges as we start rounding the corner here, we see this in the book of Judges and Ruth is that God provides another way. There is another way. You don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to live in the enslavement that sin gives us. All throughout the book of Judges, we see even though the people continue to run from God and do their own thing, he continues to provide judges or saviors to help them, to deliver them, to bring them back to him. We also see in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is like a zoomed-in focus point on one particular family that went through some really rough stuff, okay? But we see God provide a Savior in their situation, a guy named Boaz, okay, who would redeem them and who would bring them out of the situation they were in. Man, we see all these portraits and all these acts of uh, acts by God where he delivers the people. Guess what? It was all building up to one great deliverer. And that's Jesus. He said that we all, they didn't have a king in that time period, right? That was a foreshadowing of what would come. Dylan's going to be preaching about that over the next couple of weeks. We're getting, ready to, we're getting ready to come into the period of the kings, okay? But guess what? All of these kings are going to fall too. You're going to see it. We're, we're still waiting on the true king to come, which thank God we now live beyond that. Jesus has came. He is the true, perfect king, which leads us to the big choice we often make. The fourth observation we need to make from the book of Judges is this. We all must choose the God who saves or the God who enslaves. 
we must choose between the God who saves and the gods who enslave. The life that Jesus came to offer is not enslavement, guys. It's freedom. It's true freedom. And I believe there's people here that may not know that true freedom yet. And I want you to know that Jesus came not to keep you in bondage, but he came to deliver you. True freedom is found in the saving God. And sometimes the waters can get a little muddy here. I get it in our culture. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's a thousand different reasons. But in our culture, a lot of people just have a hard time knowing, am, am, I, am I really saved? Like, like, how do I know I'm really like? I know there was just one time a long time ago at a revival or a camp or whatever. Man, I walked down the aisle, I cried, I did my whole thing, and, and I felt like I was saved. Man, I still feel like I'm living in enslavement. Let me give you a good, good dividing line here. Let's put that verse back on the screen real quick, guys, from Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone de- did as they saw fit. I know we've read it several times, but here's, here's a question for you. Who's the king of your life? Who's the king? If you're still living as you see fit, you're the king. And guess what? That will lead to a life of misery. And beyond that, much worse, right? Because God says he will punish every wrongdoing, every sin. But Jesus came so that he could be our true king. Not so that we can continue to live as we see fit, but we can live for him in obedience to him. You won't do it perfectly. Don't hear me wrong. But guess what? He did it perfectly. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly in your place so that you could be seen as him. You see, when we receive him as our king, guess who God sees when he looks down on us? He sees Jesus. Jesus is our covering. He is the perfect one. You don't have to try to pretend like you're perfect anymore because Jesus was in your place. And he is our covering. He is our redeemer. So when he says, that dude, yeah, he's jacked up, but he's my son, guess what? God don't see the jacked up dude anymore. He sees Jesus in your place. Man, that's the good news of the gospel. So if you want to know whether you're right with God this morning, ask yourself the question, am I the king of my life or is Jesus? Because if you're still the king of your life, I don't care what happened 15 years ago at a summer camp, you need Jesus. He needs to be the king of your life. If you're a Christian in here today, this is not easy to continue to walk in. Man, every single day is a battle. Every day, Mark wants to be the king of his own life. You hear me? I want to call the shots. I want to do as I want to do. Guess what? You've got to fight that. You've got to fight that. You've got to be involved with the local church so that you can have accountability. You've got to stay in God's word so that he can continue to convict you and speak to you, right? Because if you allow it, you will try to take the throne of your life again. It happens all the time, right? We need the Lord. We need others. So I want to ask you, if you're a Christian here today, what areas of your life are you allowing to be festering over here in a dark corner that shouldn't be there? You know what it is. As I've been talking, some of you have things that come in your mind. I know how it works, guys. I've been there. had seasons of sin in my life that I know were there. I didn't want to tell anybody about. What is that area? It says in the book of Judges several times that people wept. Guess what? You may have wept. Maybe you've wept before over whatever this thing is in your life. God today is calling you not to weep. He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to change your ways. I don't care how extreme it is, you have to put to death these sinful idols in your life. Whatever it is, it has to be put to death because guess what? There's only room for one king. One king. Let us help you. Hey, listen, some of the darkest things I've ever had to face, 
I tried over and over and over again to do it by myself. That won't possible. I keep going right back down that dark road. You have to invite others to help you. There's someone sitting close to you, I promise you, that would be willing to take this journey with you. That's what the church is for, guys. We are a family. And what Jesus offers, listen, is too good to miss. So I want to ask each one of you, every one of you in here, and whether you're watching online, two next steps here. If you don't know Jesus, he needs to become your king. That is the first step. You need to receive his salvation. Number two, if you're a Christian in here, what is in your life that you need to repent of? And find someone who can hold you accountable, can help you in that journey, because it's going to be hard. But it's good. It's good, because guess what? On the other side of that dark spot is light, is freedom, is hope. You with me, church?